Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, I'm here, you're there, and so let's get started. The head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, came out of hibernation just long enough to announce that he does not want the identity of the so-called whistleblower made public. Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, many others have said the same thing. Roy Blunt Now, when you're in the Senate, you're a lawmaker. You have a staff. You have a variety of lawyers on your staff. You have legislative counsel, legislative directors. You have general counsel or just counsel generally. And before you make statements like this, don't you think you actually should know what's in the law? This is not only embarrassing to these senators, It is a grave disservice to the American people. It's left to other people to do the legal analysis. It's left to other people to find out who the whistleblower is. It's left to other people to dig in the backgrounds of their lawyers. Because the Republicans in the Senate could care less. The Republicans in the House are doing the very best they can. They're in the minority. And of course, the vast Democrat Party press is doing everything they can to cover up for the so-called whistleblower, the Democrats, and Adam Schiff, given their hate lust for the President of the United States. So let's take a little time and go over this statute. Amy McCarthy, a dear friend of mine, has a great piece in National Review today. And as I read it, I'm reminded, Mr. Producer, we talked about this a couple of months ago, or six weeks ago, whenever this whistleblower came out, but it's, it's an important refresher. And I want you to listen very carefully, because when I go through this with you, you're going to know more than every reporter and every Republican in the Senate. Or maybe they know it, but they pretend they don't, which is even worse. The whistleblower statute does not, as we said weeks ago, I want to underscore, does not apply to the President of the United States. As Andy said, it does not apply to the conduct of foreign policy. It does not apply to the president's conversations with foreign leaders. Period. Period. The whistleblower statute, as applies to the president, let alone impeachment, is utterly and completely irrelevant. Irrelevant. How then can the chairman, the Republican chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, say that we want to keep the so-called whistleblower's name secret? And between half a dozen and ten Republicans in the Senate say the same thing. 
They are irresponsible. They are not upholding the law. They are defying the Constitution and rewriting the law. Let me continue. This so-called whistleblower does not have statutory protection. We've also talked about this, but Andy provides us with a good reminder. It doesn't meet the statutory elements. He was not an official who reports on intelligence activities within the jurisdiction of the Director of National Intelligence. He was serving as a member of the National Security Council staff with his ultimate report being the President of the United States. So, it doesn't apply to the President and the so-called whistleblower. The statute doesn't apply to him. Number three. We've also touched on this, but again, a good reminder. The law does not, does not guarantee plenary or general anonymity. To any whistleblower, let alone this one. Only the inspector general, the inspector general of the intelligence community is to keep it confidential. And even under certain circumstances, he doesn't have to keep it confidential. Unnecessary to go into those. So there's literally no factual or statutory basis to say that the President of the United States is bound by the whistleblower statute or that the so-called whistleblower is incorporated in the whistleblower statute. Neither are. Neither are. There is absolutely no legal reason, none, for the so-called whistleblower's identity to be kept secret. No legal reason whatsoever. Congress has never provided overarching legal protection to any whistleblower. And certainly not in the context of launching an impeachment effort where it has never been done. And finally, as I point out over and over again, the Constitution trumps any statute. So if you're going to use a filing to trigger an impeachment inquiry, which is exactly what happened here, a phony impeachment inquiry, but an inquiry nonetheless, based on a complaint filed by this individual, well, the individual can't then surround himself or wrap himself in a statute, the whistleblower statute or any other statute, say, well, I'm not coming forward. The Constitution trumps everything. And the public's right to know in this context, when you're talking about impeaching and potentially removing a president, not that they will, but potentially, takes precedent. Obviously. Now you've learned more in five minutes than you'd learn on any news show on TV or radio. Or any other talk show. But I'm not done. So why hide the so-called whistleblower? Why hide the whistleblower from the public? Because it's dangerous out there? That's not a reason. Because you'll intimidate future whistleblowers? He's not a whistleblower. How can you impeach a president of the United States? A process said to be triggered by this person's complaint 
without the House of Representatives, the United States Senate, the President of the United States, and the American people scrutinizing his motives, credibility, and veracity. It's not that the substance of his complaint is determinative, I would tell my friend Andy and others. That's not the point. I'm not interested in him testifying about his complaint. I'm interested in him testifying about the fact of his complaint. It is wholly relevant for the American people, the committee, the full Congress, and the president to know about this individual's conduct, contacts, partisanship, etc. Absolutely relevant. And that's why the Democrats, the media, and some feckless Republicans would apparently have the nation go through an impeachment process and a trial, if they had their way, without ever knowing who started it. Now that would be unconscionable. And yet that's what they insist on. And yet, we reportedly know who the whistleblower is. But official Washington is conducting the most bizarre cover-up in American history. His name is everywhere. Don Jr. tweets out an article that's linked on the Drudge Report identifying the individual. Forget his name. What is it? Hold on. Let me find my article Giamarella, Eric Giamarella. And I've said he and his lawyers can come forward and deny it. I'm more than happy to, uh, to have them on the program. I believe in that. The truth shall set you free. Yet, we know who it is, reportedly. Right, Eric? Eric Charamella. And we know about Eric Charamella. The problem is the vast majority of the people don't know any of this. They don't know any of this. Eric Charamella's name is all over the place, except except in the vast majority of broadcast media and print media, which is really amazing given how much leaks out there. Top secret leaks. Oh, look at this. Pulitzer. So this is the most bizarre cover-up in American history. Why? Why the cover-up? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this cover-up is intended to protect the Democrat Party. He's a Democrat. The Obama administration. He worked for the Obama National Security Council. It became a holdover in the Trump administration. They gave him the boot because of reported leaks. That's what the article says. Cover-up? Yes, for Adam Schiff. Who knows all about the so-called whistleblower. And all the shenanigans that took place in the shadows leading up to his complaint. It's a cover-up. The former National Security Council staffers. Who were hired by Schiff, but who had worked for Obama, and again were holdovers in the Trump National Security Council, with whom, at least one of them, this so-called whistleblower colluded, and he was friends with both of them. Cover-up. Cover-up of Joe Biden, with whom this so-called whistleblower was close. And it's amazing. Not a single reporter with access to Joe Biden 
has dared to ask Joe Biden, what do you know about Eric Charamella? What do you know about Eric Charamella? You're not allowed to whisper his name. Can't even whisper it. Not even under your breath. Cover up. He worked for John Brennan. We got to cover all these things up. Because you see, the whistleblower is noble and courageous. He's a patriot. He was so moved to act despite all the dangers he would face to file a complaint against the President of the United States after consulting with Obama, former staffers, now shift staffers. Oh, and the lawyers. We told you about the lawyers last night. I told you about the lawyers five weeks ago and what a fraud politifact is. It's intended to cover up or protect the so-called whistleblowers lawyers who've been pretending to be nonpartisan for months, including his chief lawyer who supported a coup against the President of the United States with his phony excuse today. A coup against the President of the United States back in January 27, 10 days after Trump was sworn in. His chief lawyer, Mark Zaid. We can't expose him either, can we? Meanwhile, the House Democrats adopted rules making it impossible for the Republicans to call this supposed whistleblower, here's the trick, without Adam Schiff's approval. In fact, none of these actors can be called as witnesses without Adam Schiff's approval. So if a grand cover-up and the lead perpetrator, Adam Schiff, is in charge of the cover-up, right in front of your eyes, It's not even clever. It's clumsy. But the media are complicit. They control the flow of information to the vast majority of the American people. The flow of information is controlled by the Trump haters. The cover-up is controlled by the perpetrators. Secret testimony without cross-examination by the president's counsel. Of course the media didn't complain about that. Witnesses are carefully controlled. Their questions are carefully controlled. Then they release transcripts. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of transcripts from 9, 10, 11 hour depositions in secret in the skiff in the bottom of the Capitol building. And you know what else they've been releasing with these long heavy duty transcripts which are very, very difficult to download on the House Intelligence Committee's website? A summary by the House Intelligence Committee. That's what they call it, but it's really a summary by Adam Schiff and the boys, his mobster buddies. Very easy to read. It's seven, eight pages long, not hundreds and hundreds of pages. And you know what's fascinating? The media have used the summary that the Democrats have put out. Not the transcript. Did you ever wonder why the New York Times, CNN, the Washington Post could get those headlines out so fast? They're taking the talking points summary produced by Adam Schiff and the Democrats under the authority of the committee and going with these headlines. Blockbuster testimony! Oh my God! By bureaucrats who are giving their opinions. And so when Lee Zeldin, great patriot, Republican, Long Island, 
cross-examines a witness like William Taylor, and you find out from that wit- uh, the cross-examination that he didn't know anything about anything firsthand. He was just popping off and giving his opinion. That wasn't in the summary. I've got more. I'll be right back. Mark in. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. A series of choices, guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C., Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I will be on Hannity tonight on the Fox News Channel, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Please don't miss it. I don't think you're going to want to miss it. We're all fired up and ready to roll. 9.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. 6.30 p.m. Pacific tonight on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. Please don't forget, make a mental note or a physical note, that my show Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News Channel on Sunday has been moved. No longer 10 p.m. Eastern. It's now 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Sunday nights. And our guest for a full hour is going to be Don Jr. I know he's been here and there, but he's not been anywhere for a full hour. He's also going to be on this program in two hours. He had already been scheduled to be on the program, uh, but uh, he's a brilliant young man. He really is. He's a great businessman. In fact, all of the president's kids are terrific. Eric, I met him in passing once, other than hello. I don't know him. Uh, Ivanka, I know better. She's uh, brilliant. Uh, Jared, same thing. I mean, uh, real Lara, you see her on TV. She's she's unbelievable. These these it's, it's really. I mean, compare them to this uh, loser Hunter Biden. More when I return. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right, you can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. 
That's in Primus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. All right. From the great John Solomon, johnsolomonreports.com. Real testimony bombshell. Obama administration tried to partner with Hunter Biden's Ukrainian gas firm, but was blocked, but was blocked over concerns of corruption. State Department officials who served in the U.S. Embassy in Kiev told Congress that the Obama administration tried in 2016 to partner with the Iranian gas firm that employed Hunter Biden. But the project was blocked over corruption concerns. George Kent, the former charge d'affaires at the Kiev embassy, said in testimony released today that the State Department's main foreign aid agency, known as USAID, USAID, planned to co-sponsor a clean energy project with Burisma Holdings, the Ukrainian gas firm that employed Hunter Biden as a board member. At the time of the Promise Project, Burisma was under investigation in Ukraine for alleged corruption. Those cases were settled in late 2016 and early 2017. Burisma contested allegations of corruption but paid a penalty for tax issues. Kent testified he personally intervened in mid-2016 to stop USAID's joint project with Burisma because American officials believe the corruption allegations against the gas firm raised concern. See, the only one who didn't know anything about any of this was Joe Biden. Big, dumb Joe Biden. You believe that? No, I don't. There apparently was an effort for, for Burisma to help co-sponsor, I guess, a contest that USAID was sponsoring related to clean energy. And when I heard about it, I asked USAID to stop that sponsorship, Kent told lawmakers. When asked why he intervened, he answered, because Burisma had a poor reputation in the business, and I didn't think it was appropriate for the U.S. government to be co-sponsoring something with a company that had a bad reputation. That didn't stop Hunter Biden, though, did it? Kent's testimony confirms earlier text message I reported on in September, says Solomon. Those text messages show that Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business associate and fellow board member on Burisma, boasted to an American lawyer in December 2015 that the pair was seeking to do a project with USAID. And at the time of the text, the New York Times had just reported that Burisma was under investigation in Ukraine and that the probe and Hunter Biden's role in the company was undercutting Vice President Joe Biden's efforts to root out corruption in Ukraine. Well, that's easy enough to fix, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Lean on the Ukraine to fire the prosecutor. Archer's text to the lawyer suggested he was working on a strategy to counter the new wave of scrutiny about Burisma caused by the Times story. He stated he had just met at the State, meaning State Department, to discuss a new USAID project the embassy is announcing with us, and that it was perfect for U.S. to move forward now with the momentum. Kent's stoppage of the USAID project adds to a growing body of evidence that Burisma and its corruption issues were causing heartburn inside the State Department, during the end of Joe Biden's tenure as vice president. Another State Department official has reportedly testified he tried to warn Biden's office that Burisma matter posed a conflict of interest, but was turned away by the vice president's aides. 
An internal state memos I obtained this week, says Solomon, under FOIA show Hunter Biden and Archer had multiple contacts with Secretary of State John Kerry and Deputy Secretary Tony Blinken in 2015-2016, and that Burisma's own American legal team was lobbying state to help eliminate the corruption allegations against it in Ukraine. Why bother you, Joe Biden? Hunter Biden's name was specifically invoked as a reason why state officials should assist the memo show. And a month after Burisma's contact with state, Joe Biden leveraged the threat of withholding U.S. foreign aid to force Ukraine to fire its chief prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, who at the time was overseeing the Burisma probe. Joe Biden says he forced the firing because he believed Shokin was ineffective. But Shokin says he was told he was fired because the American vice president was unhappy. The prosecutor would not drop the Burisma probe. Also today, also today, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Charles Grassley and State Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee Chairman Ron Johnson asked the State Department to provide them all documents about Hunter Biden's and Burisma's contacts by end of this month. It follows calls earlier in the week by Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham that there is enough concern about the Burisma case now to warrant an official Senate investigation. Well, where is Richard Burr, the Republican chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, or should I say the Senate No Intelligence Committee? Kent's newly released testimony also confirms several other elements of my earlier reporting, says Solomon, about Ukraine, including the U.S. Embassy exerted pressure on Ukrainian prosecutors not to pursue certain investigations. Kent, now a deputy assistant secretary, disputed allegations that former Ukrainian prosecutor general Yuri Litsensko made an inhel- in, uh, made in a Hill TV interview. Uh, let's see. That former U.S. Ambassador Maria Yovanovitch Con- gave a formal list of names she did not want to see prosecuted by Ukrainian authorities. Kent's denial was identical to the one I published, he said, from State when I first aired the Lesenko interview. But he confirmed that the U.S. Embassy did, in fact, on several occasions, exert pressure on Lesenko's office about people and groups that the American government did not want to see pursued for investigation or prosecution or harassment. And it goes on. Now, let me say this. Hunter Biden needs to be a witness during these impeachment hearings. The Democrats keep bringing up the Biden name. The media keep bringing up the Biden name. The president wanted you to see the Ukrainians to intervene to look into the Bidens. Well, why did he want that? Well, for purely political purposes. Who says? The president didn't say that. The media say it. The Democrats say it. Could it be? That the president had a legitimate reason? Yes, he did have a legitimate reason. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is a massive cover-up. When you have the chief bank robber, Adam Schiff, preventing investigators from finding out about the bank robbery, instead pointing the finger at the president of the bank, this is the situation you're in. So the Obama administration did try to partner with Hunter Biden's Ukrainian gas firm, but was blocked over corruption concerns. 
is another effort by another state official to get to the vice president's office directly and to warn him about this and his son. That was put off. Joe Biden didn't know anything. Didn't know anything. Didn't know his son had any, any dealings with Burisma. And that's that because the Democrats don't want any testimony related to this. None. Do you believe this, Mr. Producer? It's unbelievable. It's what we call a scam. A lie. That's exactly what this is. A scam. A lie. This whole process is a scam, a lie. The media today, in the aggregate, with very few exceptions, run scams and lies. They're the mouthpiece for the Democrat Party and vice versa. That's what they are. And there's simply no question about it anymore. Simply no question about it. Did you know? Did you know that the so-called whistleblower, Eric Charamella, was the guest at a State Department banquet, the guest of Vice President Joe Biden? That's how well he knew him. This is breaking in the Washington Examiner. Eric Charamella, the alleged Ukrainian whistleblower. And by the way, his lawyers would be very easy for them to say, he's not the whistleblower, and we'll sue your ass if you keep saying it. Notice they haven't said that. While he was a guest of Vice President Joe Biden at a glitzy lunch in October 2016 to honor the Prime Minister of Italy, Biden co-hosted the banquet with former Secretary of State John Kerry for then-Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi Caramella. It was of Italian heritage, that is, uh, at, uh, the so-called whistleblower, was among the U.S. officials who accepted an invitation. This week, the Washington Examiner reported that Caramella is now a deputy national intelligence officer for Russia and Eurasia on the National Intelligence Council, reporting to the director of national intelligence. Caramella, a career CIA analyst, was... Ukraine director of the National Security Council during the end of the Obama administration, remained there during the early months of the Trump administration when he was briefly acting senior director for European and Russian affairs. He's now accused of being the official who filed a complaint. The complaint sparked concerns, of course, and we know about this. He's 33. He's listed among dozens of other people who were invited to the October 2016 event hosted by Biden under the category White House Executive Office Vice President in an unclassified State Department document released through the Freedom of Information Act. Now, you notice, folks, the New York Times isn't doing any of this work. The Washington Post isn't doing any. Where's our friend Philip Bump, Mr. Producer? Where's Philly? Where are all the great reporters, including some of the anti-Semites, over there working for the New York Slimes? They're not doing any reporting. Instead, they're going after the retired lieutenant colonel who's helped expose Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. We'll get to that later in the program. Get to that later in the program. Out of over 400 possible guests for the State Department event, 115 people were listed as having accepted invitations, although key Trump-Russia investigation figures, such as former CIA Director John Brennan, Comey, Clapper, Loretta Lynch, all declined their invitations. Besides inviting Caramella, Biden's office, as opposed to the State Department or another entity, sent invitations to, move to more than 30 other people, including Josh Ernest, press secretary, Valerie Jarrett, 
Lisa Monaco, the Homeland Security Advisor, Ben Rhodes, reprobate, and so forth, Susan Rice. Hmm. And now while Trump and his allies have called for the whistleblower to be identified, the whistleblower's lawyers and Democrats argue the person's identity no longer matters. Ladies and gentlemen, if it no longer matters, then identify them. We know who it is. We know who it is. We know who he is. We know what he is. It's just like the phony Russia collusion where the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, and all the rest of them were participating in the grand conspiracy to try and take out Trump. It's not that they didn't report on it. It's that they reported on what their leakers inside the government were telling them. Do you realize that CNN and MSNBC, NBC, CBS, and ABC, NPR, PBS, the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, are mouthpieces now for the federal government? They're mouthpieces for the senior level of the FBI. Mouthpieces for the senior levels of the CIA. Mouthpieces for foreign governments. They're scribes writing down what they're told. They haven't done any investigative reporting. The Obama administration is utterly untouched. Utterly untouched. Susan Rice is utterly untouched. Loretta Lynch, utterly untouched. Valerie Jarrett, all the rest of them, untouched. And of course, Joe Biden, untouched. It's incredible. Did you know the Republicans control the Senate? Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Oh, yeah. They've been holding hearing after hearing on Hunter Biden, on Burisma. The committees are fighting with each other to get to the bottom of this. Did you know that, folks? They want to know what our State Department and U.S. aid were doing. Oh, yeah, they're getting to the bottom of it. They really are. They took that Politico uh, January 2017 article written by a leftist who now works for the New York Times, Kenneth Vogel, talking about how Ukraine, the Hillary campaign, the DNC, with the help of the Obama State Department, were trying to sabotage his word, their word, the Trump campaign. How many hearings have been held on that? Exactly zero. Exactly zero. But whatever you do, don't identify the whistleblower who's already been identified. His words must not cross your lips. And the greatest deliberative body on the planet, as they tell us, don't speak Eric Charamella's name. Don't say Eric Charamella, Eric Charamella, Eric Charamella. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat. 
so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. I want to congratulate Mike Best over at the Washington Examiner. You're very good, Mike. I don't know you. I guess you've been a journalist a long time. You're very good at writing down what Media Matters feeds out to everybody. Daily Beast I get. Hollywood Reporter I get and all those others. It's not a big deal. A Washington Examiner? Really? Wow. Mike Best, ladies and gentlemen. I know this Mark Zaid is really trying to spin his own tweets. He's been all over the media trying to, uh, to diss me when I called him out five or six weeks ago on Hannity, on Fox. Said he's a liberal and so he said, no, 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 no. That can't be true. We represented the Daily Caller Foundation. We represented some Republicans. And this, of course, is what the left does to try and keep their status as objective, independent people. But we knew otherwise. Aaron Klein over there, Breitbart's been doing a hell of a good job tracking these guys down. And of course, we've been tracking them down somewhat as well. So this group called PolitiFact, which I touched on last night, self-characterizes as a fact-checking operation for the media. It's a left-wing outfit, has another entity called PundaFact. And it's all owned by Pointner Enterprises, which owns, among other things, the major newspaper, The Daily, in Tampa, Florida. It's left-wing. It's what it is. So when I pointed out, with the help of Aaron and others, the biases of, of these attorneys, representing the noble, courageous, patriotic, so-called whistleblower, Apparently these attorneys went to their favorite media outlets and went on the attack. How can dare can anybody call us? Look at our magnificent record. And PolitiFact really dug into it, looked at how they were registered, looked at their Lincoln sites, looked at, well, they're not registered. They're independents, and this guy's a Republican, but never looked at their social media. It's funny how big media won't look at people who they, they might have a problem with, who they like, and then all over social media, there's Mark Zaid endorsing a coup. And now he's uh, slobbering all over himself to try and walk it back in some ridiculous statement that he put out today. Just thought I would point that out. And by the way, Mike Best over there at the Washington Examiner. Wow, you're just unbelievable. What a reporter, right, Mr. Well, he, this guy's unbelievable. Nobody regurgitates what Media Matters says better than Mike Best. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark 
Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Don Jr. will be our guest at the bottom of the last hour, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. I will be on Hannity TV, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. It is amazing to watch how the media conduct themselves, even so-called conservative media in some cases. A conga line. Media Matters drops a point, they pick it up, and they run with it. They know that Media Matters has a leftist agenda. They know they're funded by left-wing billionaires and Democrat groups, but it doesn't seem to matter. And this is the same thing with the media generally. I'm listening, I had to shut it off during the break to some, some of the cable interviews, and they're all based on the summaries that are provided by Schiff and the Democrats on the committee to the media. Not on the testimony per se, hundreds of pages long, but on the summaries that the Democrats put out. And so the Washington Post reports part of what the talking points are, and then it's repeated on cable, and so for 48 hours, that's the issue. That's not media. That's not news. Now, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here now. News, propaganda, and pseudo-events. Given the progressive ideology and Democratic Party attachment of most of the modern media and journalists, and this is in Chapter 5 of Unfreedom of the Press, their commitment to so-called community journalism and social activism, and with the integration of opinion and news making objective truth increasingly difficult to discern, it is the public actually receiving predominantly news or propaganda or pseudo-information? One of the keys to answering this question points to Edward Bernays. Bernays, one of his publishers tell us, pioneered the scientific technique of shaping and manipulating public opinion, which he called engineering consent. And you see it happening today. George Creel enlisted him into Woodrow Wilson's propaganda operation. Bernays was a nephew of Sigmund Freud, and according to Christopher Daly, was, quote, a pioneer in theorizing about human thoughts and emotions. Bernays volunteered for the Committee on Public Information under Woodrow Wilson and threw himself into the work. His outlook, a mixture of idealism about the cause of spreading democracy and cynicism about the methods involved, was typical of many at that agency. Bernays is considered in some quarters the founder of the contemporary public relations profession. He believed in the power of propaganda. In fact, he wrote a book. It was called Propaganda. And he believed in the manipulation and brainwashing of, quote, the masses, unquote. And you see this taking place today. He wrote, the minority, that is, masterminds or elites, has discovered a powerful help in influencing majorities. It's been found possible so to mold the mind of the masses that they will throw their newly gained strength in the desired direction. He said in the present structure of society, this practice is inevitable. Whatever of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacturing, agriculture, charity, education, or other fields, must be done with the help of propaganda. Propaganda is the executive arm of the invisible government, unquote. And it is the executive arm of the modern media. 
today. First and foremost, this means using the media, or the media exercising its own ideologically driven will as a propaganda enterprise. Bernays wrote, the extent to which propaganda shapes the progress of affairs about us may surprise even well-informed persons. Nevertheless, it is only necessary to look under the surface of the newspaper for a hint as to propaganda's authority over public opinion. And he gave an example of the New York Times with their headlines and how the headlines were propaganda, were used to drive opinion. For Bernays, propaganda was not troubling, but in fact inevitable and useful. You know who was a big adherent to Bernays and his arguments for propaganda, Mr. Producer? Adolf Hitler. Just telling everybody the historical truth. But obviously he's not the only one. The public was not capable of enlightened thinking and decisions in a republic, you see. Therefore, they need to be led by those who supposedly are, or at least by those who self-servingly claim to be. Again, this is chapter 5 on freedom of the press. Bernays claimed that, quote, the examples that he had given create the impression that there is anything sinister about propaganda. Bernays argued that modern propaganda is a consistent, enduring effort to create or shape events to influence the relations of the public to an enterprise, idea, or group, or to the government. The practice of creating circumstances, creating circumstances, of creating pictures in the minds of millions of persons is very common. Virtually no important undertaking is now carried out without it, he wrote. So according to Bernays, there is a new propaganda, which takes account not merely of the individual, nor even of the mass mind alone, but also and especially of the anatomy of society, with its interlocking group formations and loyalties sees the individual not only as a cell in the social organism, but as a cell organized into the social unit. In other words, socialism, communitarianism, communism. Touch a nerve at a sensitive spot and you get an automatic response from certain specific members of the organism, he said. There's a despotic odor to Bernays' elevation of propaganda as a righteous yet routine undertaking, exercised for virtuous purposes by a supposedly intellectually astute and superior minority, I write. The masses must be shepherded and managed for their own good and the betterment of society. The new propaganda, Bernays explains, having regard to the constitution of society as a whole, not infrequently serves to focus and realize the desires of the masses. A modern illustration of Bernays' new propaganda in action was the selling of the Obama administration's Iran nuclear deal. And I spent a lot of time on that and how they lied. The media knew they lied, but the media supported them. And Rhodes, Ben Rhodes, the reprobate who was behind it, bragged. Bragged to the news media. That there were certain individuals in the media who he could control, certain experts who would say whatever he wanted to say, and that's how they helped influence the American people. You see the same with climate change, so-called. Chuck Todd and his comments. Bernays would be very proud of Chuck Todd and the other propagandists in the media. And then, in addition to propaganda, we have what I've been calling, thanks to Professor Daniel Borstein in his book in 1961, pseudo-events in America. And you see this tonight, breaking out all over the news. 
We watch and hear every day endlessly propaganda and pseudo-events. A non-reality, but a reality that is projected onto our society and pushed and pushed and pushed. And the President of the United States is the great victim of this, as are his supporters. And Borston pointed out, we need not be theologians to see that we have shifted responsibility for making the world interesting from God to the newspaper man. We used to believe there were only so many events in the world. There were not many intriguing and startling consequences. It was not the fault of the reporter. He couldn't be expected to report what, he did, not, what did not exist. But within the last hundred years, and especially in the 20th century, all this has changed. Remember, he wrote this 50 years ago, almost 60 years ago. We expect the papers to be full of news, and if there's no news visible to the naked eye or to the average citizen, we still expect it to be there for the enterprising newsman. So they create it. The successful reporter is one who can find a story, even if there's no earthquake or assassination or civil war. If he can't find a story, then he must make one. By the questions he asks of public figures. By the surprising human interest he unfolds from some commonplace event. Or by the so-called news behind the news. And if all this fails, then he must give us a think piece. An embroidering of well-known facts or a speculation about startling things to come. This, explained Borston, is a new kind of synthetic novelty which has flooded our experience. That being pseudo-events. The common prefix pseudo comes from the Greek word making false or intended to deceive. Or as the president like say, fake events, fake news. Borson explained that with the advent of round-the-clock media, the news gap soon became so narrow that in order to have additional news for each news edition, or each new broadcast, it was necessary to plan in advance the stages by which any available news would be unveiled. With more space to fill, the newsman had to fill it ever more quickly. News gathering turned into newsmaking. And pseudo-events spawned other pseudo-events in geometric progression, he wrote. This is partly because every pseudo-event that is being planned tends to become ritualized, with a protocol and a rigidity all its own. And as each type of pseudo-events acquires this rigidity, pressures arise to produce other derivative forms of pseudo-events, which are more fluid, more tantalizing, more interestingly ambiguous. And you can see it with this impeachment. All right, forget about the whistleblower now. We're on to... Yovanovitch, oh, Yovanovitch, oh, yep, yep. And Taylor, Taylor, oh, oh, yes, Taylor. Nowadays, he wrote, the test of a Washington reporter is seldom his skill at precise dramatic reporting, but more often his adeptness at dark intimidation. Excuse me, intimation. If he wishes to keep his news channels open, he must accumulate a vocabulary and develop a style to conceal the sources and obscure the relation of a supposed event or statement to the underlying facts of life, at the same time seeming to offer hard facts, this whole book on Anonymous, this whole op-ed on Anonymous, and all the anonymous sources. Much of his stock and trade is his own and other people's speculation about the reality of what he's reporting. He helps create that very obscurity without which the supposed illumination of reports would be unnecessary. Yes. He's exactly right. The whole Russia collusion story was filled with propaganda, one pseudo-event after another. And that's what the Democrat Party press is all about. 
They're very proud of themselves. Very proud of themselves. The media inundate the public with news stories based on claims, speculation, and spin from anonymous sources or unattributed sources or leaks that typically support and promote their narrative. I write. Nearly entire books critical of the president and his management style, including by investigative journalist Bob Wolf, rely heavily on anonymous sources. Frequently, the books and their authors have themselves treated as newsworthy and received considerable subsequent news coverage. Like this whole thing on The View today. We have four Yentas screaming at Don Trump. It's, it's, it's disgusting. That's not news, but it's been news all day by conservative hosts. Look at this. Listen to this. Meanwhile, the public is unable to rationally judge the authenticity of these reports and books because they are unable to take the measure of those who are supposedly providing the information to the journalists and authors I write, whether they're reliable, disgruntled, have an axe to grind, or whatever. And this is exactly the point about the so-called whistleblower. We're unable to take the measure of this person. Whether they're reliable, disgruntled, have an axe to grind, or what have you. Really quite outrageous. Borston maintained, we spend much of our waking hours living in a world of unreality, fashioned by, among others, the press. He wrote, the American citizen thus lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality, where the image has more dignity than its original. We hardly dare face our bewilderment because our ambiguous experience is so pleasantly iridescent, and the solace of belief and contrived reality is so thoroughly real. We've become eager accessories to the great hoaxes of the age. These are the hoaxes we play on ourselves. He said, what ails us most is not what we have done with America, but what we have substituted for America. We suffer primarily not from our vices or weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted, not by reality, but by those images we put in place of reality. To discover our illusion will not solve the problems of the world, but if we do not discover them, we will never discover our real problems. To dispel the ghosts which populate the world of making will not give us the power to conquer the real enemies of the real world, to remake the real world. But it may help us discover that we cannot make the world in our image. It will liberate us and sharpen our vision. It will clear away the fog so we can face the world we share with all mankind. Good advice. But is there any indication that the Democratic Party press will accept it? No. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition.
So more and more what we're seeing from the Democrat Party press are staged events. Contrived events, like a contrived impeachment. The use of propaganda by demagogues in the media and demagogues in politics. That is, they create these pseudo-events, these non-events, these fake events. Russia collusion, quid pro quo, extortion, impeachment, a whistleblower, um, the whistleblower statute, and we're all getting these projections of unreality that become reality and affect our lives. That's the point of chapter 5. That's what I'm explaining. As I said, this, this book will really open your eyes and help you unravel some of what you're seeing in front of the television and hearing on some radio shows. You scratch your head and you say, why don't people see things the way I do? Because you are... <clears throat> you are able to notice that you're surrounded by these leftists and so forth, but what is it that they're doing to you? They are, as I said, staging events. They are creating concoctions, contrivances, using propaganda. And these pseudo-events, as the president rightly calls it, fake news. And my overall point is, even as I take a break during this program at the top of the hour and I'm watching some cable and so I'm going, this is unbelievable. So the Democrats put out talking points but claim it's the House Intelligence Committee summary. They make it difficult to get the full testimony, which is very thick and hard to download. So they've done everything they can to make it difficult to get real testimony. You can get it, but you've got to work at it. And so the reporters immediately jump to the summary. The summary, of course, omits crucial information and testimony, despite the fact that they're their witnesses, and there hasn't been cross-examination by a presidential counsel. But still, they control the narrative. And the media is so intellectually corrupt and ideologically partisan that it's more than happy to participate. Tell me, if a Republican Speaker of the House, a Republican committee chairman, had said, no, the press cannot come in to our secret testimony, our skiff, while we're conducting interviews related to an impeachment inquiry? How do you think the Democrat Party press would respond to that? Look at the weaklings in the Senate already, how they cower, how scared they are, disgusted. I'll be right back. Tough. A tough get. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Mm-hmm. This guy's not a whistleblower. They're covering up for this guy, the media included, because he's the latest political hack, that's why. I'll say it if nobody else will. This guy's the latest political hack dressed up as some kind of whistleblower patriot. That's the truth. 
There are four purposes of education at Hillsdale College. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. For 175 years, Hillsdale has been committed to these four pillars of its mission. Other colleges started off with good intentions, but many of them have lost their way. Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've known Hillsdale's president, Dr. Larry Arn. He is tremendous for many decades. He says, quote, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat. So its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. Brilliantly put, don't you think? At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Now, Hillsdale has a rigorous true liberal arts curriculum, and all students learn the basics of the U.S. Constitution, whether they major in biology, business, economics, or any of the dozens of other areas of study. All students learn what it means to be good citizens and why it's necessary to fight for freedom. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And you can learn a lot more at their tremendous website. It's really very entertaining and fun and substantive. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. So we have somebody who is said to be a whistleblower. How so? He's not a whistleblower under the statute. He's not a whistleblower. He's a partisan. Most whistleblowers are not partisans. He's a partisan. That's a fact. And, of course, he's being used for impeachment purposes. And this is a pattern with the Democrats, which is quite clear. And the Democrats are now in bed with certain elements within our intelligence agencies, federal law enforcement agencies. And the irony is, of course, they hate the intelligence agencies and our law enforcement agencies. But they have embeds, you know, liberal Democrats who reject this president. If this president dares to support a foreign policy that's not supported by the bureaucrats of the State Department, she has 33 years of honorable service. Well, I don't know who she is, and I don't much give a damn. She wasn't elected president of the United States. Yovanovitch. Yovanovitch. Let me just say this to you. The president of the United States has done nothing to deserve this. But the powers and the efforts that are being used against him are frighteningly anti-American. Frighteningly anti-American. And when aspects of the federal government, whether it's our criminal justice system, our law enforcement system, our intelligence systems, are being used against a president like this, this is really quite remarkable. Sickeningly so. And the propaganda and the pseudo-events coming out of the media, I'm sure enshrine in your minds that we have an unfree press. Not a press that's interested in truth. It is a social activism, politically democrat, ideologically 
progressive media. I don't know how you can watch CNN and MSNBC and not reach that conclusion. In fact, I don't know how you can watch almost any newsroom on network TV or read any newspaper or news site without reaching that conclusion. Even some of those that were formerly pretty good are moving in that direction. Because news is now defined by what you see on CNN and MSNBC, which is not news. News is now defined by what you read in the New York Times. But the New York Times omits facts, like it did during the Holocaust. Or the Washington Post, which did the same thing. And people graduating from journalism school, they want to work at these outlets. Pay good money, make them famous or infamous. And they're taught about social activism, and you've got to wash the news, quote-unquote, that is, events and information through a progressive mindset. And that's what they've been doing. Trump must be defeated one way or another. He must be mentally ill. He must be a racist. He must be an anti-Semite. He's extorted. He's obstructed justice. Just think about the things that they've said about this man. Shocking. And he's none of these things. Think about all the things they said about Obama. Nothing. Nothing except wide praise. Even as he's left office, he's cashed in. Nothing. When Obama speaks, they listen, they, they, they take it down like he's, uh, like he's the Messiah. He's the second coming, or for some people, the first coming. Obama said that, and Michelle Obama said some of the most race-based, nasty things. But she's not portrayed that way. Never. Two people, I mean, the other day, talking about white flight. White flight. Thinking to myself, you bought a $15 million home in Martha's Vineyard with all kinds of land so you could be left alone. What's that? The place you bought in Washington, D.C. is one of the whitest parts of Washington, D.C. there is. I'm just saying, if you want to play race, I'm just saying. The vast majority of their friends are extremely wealthy people now, and most of them are white. But she talks about white flight. White flight. Let's go to Morgan, Fort Worth, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Mark, thank you for taking my call again. You bet. I'm humbled again by the fact that I get to talk to an attorney who served under the Reagan administration and I get charged for it. There you go. Uh, well, how do you know? I haven't sent you a bill, but I might. Okay, well, I'm not going to give you my address. All right. Um, Hey, I had a take on all this, Mark, and I just wanted to see if you thought I was off base or not. But to me, the origination of all this started when Biden opened his stupid mouth, as usual, and admitted to the quid quo, quo, don't investigate the company that's paying my son $50,000 a month, even though he doesn't have any energy experience. The whole thing is dirty as the day is long. Nobody pays $50,000 a month and doesn't expect something in return. You know, you know your comments, um, they make me ask you this question. Don't we have a right to know what the Biden family has been doing apart from the president and his phone call? The man wants to be president of the United States. Don't we have a right to know about the Biden family and what they've been up to, Morgan? 
Yes, sir. And, and the thing about it is, Mark, is that nobody pays fifty thousand dollars a month and expects. It's not fifty thousand. It's eighty-three thousand a month. Everybody keeps saying fifty thousand. He got eighty-three thousand dollars a month. That's what the court records show. Yeah, I mean that's a different story. Nobody does the fifty k a month for nothing in return. That's a different story for a different day. But what I'm here's where I'm thinking, Mark, is that they knew they were in trouble with this because as dirty as the day is long and politically damaging to their front runner, to say the least. And so the Dems had a problem. They and they and they had a couple. They're not stupid. They're evil and they're liars, but they're not stupid. Mark, and so they say, how do we fix this? Well, they knew that the Trump administration was going to have to inquire about this. Hell, I would. Who wouldn't? I, I mean, it's it against the law for the President of the United States wanting corruption looked into. So you flip it. You flip the narrative by, by handling it this way, in my opinion, Mark. So at the end of the day, the Bidens are acting in obvious corrupt fashion, and Trump gets in trouble for wanting it looked into? Mm-hmm. It's, it's common tactic of the guilty. They use this. They no, that's your, that's very well put. Very well put. All right, Morgan, thank you, sir. Let us go to Martin, Gainesville, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hey, great. Well, let me just say Morgan was right on target. I have my original point, and it took a lot of mental acuity to withstand all of your salient points that I wanted to talk about. But let me say this about that. The press attack on Trump nonstop, day after day, like a drumbeat, is resonating. And there's an undercurrent of voter distrust with everything that these Democrats are doing. And trust me, Trump is going to whoop ass in this election. Trust me. Well, I don't go on trust. You know, I go on activism and hard work and so forth. Talking to all my friends, we're talking about it. These people are talking about it. But we don't talk about it with those that are trying to give us a hard time. But there's an undercurrent like there was with the voters that originally put him in, that they were reticent to really speak up and say, yeah, I voted for Trump. I agree, but my problem with what you're saying is this. There are people who go to the precincts, who work 10 hours, 12 hours, 8 hours in the cold to try and get people to vote. There are people on the weekends who go door to door or make calls to try and get people to vote. There are people who make donations so campaigns have enough money to vote. So if we just go, trust me, we're going to do well, we're going to lose. We have to work. It's just like a military operation. If you get too too cocky, you're going to lose. Go ahead. Many of my friends do. We're not going to just talk about it. We're moving forward. I'm going to be on a street corner with a Trump sign. That a boy. That a boy. All right, Martin. I appreciate your call, my brother. And also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, I'm going to be on Hannity tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I hope you'll join us. And again, on Sundays, we will not be on the Life, Liberty, and Levin show at 10 p.m. Eastern anymore. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific. I don't know what time it is in uh, Guatemala. But anyway, whatever time it is. And I hope you'll be uh, making a note of that. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Tell me, who is Snowden? Who's Manning? 
Who's Drake? Who's Benny? Who's Kiraku? Who are these people? They're whistleblowers. No, I don't happen to like some of them. All whistleblowers. One worked for the CIA, one worked for the National Security Council, one worked for the Army, and so forth. How do we know their names, Mr. Producer? How come their names are public? I thought every whistleblower's name is secret to protect the whistleblower. Snowden, Manning, Drake, Binney, Kiraku, you can look them up, there are others. And for many, these are well-known names. Certain of them, certainly. But when it comes to an individual who is a partisan hack, we can't know his name. But we do know his name. Well, the media is not going to tell us. And the committee is not going to tell us. I mean, the business here is to remove a president. It's not to inform the American people. Well, how is it possible then that Snowden, Manning, Drake, Binney, Kerikou, and others, they're whistleblowers. Why are their names public? Because they weren't protected under the statute either. How about that, folks? Amazing, isn't it? No, it's not amazing. We're being fed a, a bucket of lies day in and day out about this partisan who they dressed up as a whistleblower. He's not a whistleblower under the statute, under any definition of the statute. Now, Pelosi, Schiff, Nadler, Elliot Anger, and others, this Politburo of left-wing hacks, do not believe in the electoral process. They do not believe that you should have the right to vote. They are trying to disenfranchise you. They're trying to influence the 2020 election. And so they have hijacked the impeachment process, turned it on its head, using our tax dollars as the majority in the House, and bastardizing that process to affect the 2020 election. The House Intelligence Committee, rather than focusing on our security, is focusing on undermining an elected president, our 45th president. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden gets a ride, Joe Biden gets a ride, Joe Biden's brother gets a ride. We're not interested in any of that. So-called whistleblower, can't know his or her identity. Very limited what we're allowed to know, only what's spoon-fed to us. Well, you know, that's the, the great thing about Levin TV. We cover the actual news. We go for the facts. We hit things that they won't hit on the other channels and other stations. And I personally break it down while providing content, history, philosophy, and so much more. We don't have sponsors or commercials, no big brother looking over your shoulder, dictating what you can or cannot hear or cover. We're completely beholden to you and you alone. Please give us a try. You've heard me talk about this for many years now. Many of you have, but many of you haven't. Please give us a try today. That's all I'm asking. Go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com. Sign up and enter code LEVIN. And you'll get 10% off your annual subscriptions. 99 bucks, you'll get it for 89 bucks. That's a de minimis amount when you break it down per week or per month. And we put a lot of work into it. I think you'll really appreciate it. That's levintv.com. 
promo code LEVIN, or give us a call at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV. If you do it now, you'll get 10% off. That's 10 bucks off your annual subscription. The whistleblower statute. Everybody's supposed to be secret, but they're not secret. How can that possibly be? Because the statute doesn't provide for anonymity in all cases. In fact, only in a few cases. That's how you know the names Snowden, Manning, and Drake, and Binney, and Kiriku. If you don't know the names, now you know them and you can look them up. And this partisan pretends to be among them. The statute doesn't cover him. The statute doesn't cover the president. The statute doesn't cover the phone call. And yet here we are. Hearing propaganda day in and day out about a pseudo-event. About a pseudo-event. Contrived. The whole thing is contrived. Created out of whole cloth. This is what despots do. These staged events. This is what despots do. Not allowed to mention Eric Cheramella. And again, Eric, if you're not the whistleblower, call in and tell us. I'll stop talking about it. I promise. I'll give you an hour to talk. Or Mark Zaid, who was all in favor of a coup of the president 10 days after he was inaugurated, who's been telling us now for at least a month and a half that he is an independent and he's not a partisan. In other words, in my view, he's been deceiving us and you. The so-called whistleblower has, his lawyers have, Adam Schiff lied to us, the media. Media just go with the Democrat talking points for the most part, out of the summary that they receive of these these trans, uh, transcriptions of the uh, testimony, which are like two inches thick. It comes to most of our newsrooms, reading is not fundamental. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You know, it's a little frustrating here. We're talking at the break. I hope many of you heard my monologue in the first hour, particularly in the first two segments. And what's a little frustrating here is, oh, Mark, now there you go again, is having it picked off and used on cable TV. Do you agree with me, Mr. Producer? It's so damn frustrating. It really is. I just wish people would think for themselves. I really do. And I'll be on Hannity tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And in about 10 or 12 minutes, we will have Don Jr. on the program for two segments. We'll be talking about his book. We'll be talking about his experience today on The View. I don't know why these publishers have conservatives go on The View, but that's what they do. That's what they do. You know, it's an odd whistleblower, isn't it? Who is backed by the establishment? Are there many whistleblowers, Mr. Producer, who are backed by the establishment? 
backed by the Democrat Party, backed by the media, some Republicans, and the rest of the establishment. Isn't that weird? But he's a whistleblower. Whistleblower, someone who takes on the establishment, is not cheered on by the establishment. That's what I thought. That's why they need protection, right? Isn't that why they need protection? Supposedly. Yeah. And so, in this case, there's been no real rationale for this. None. We've heard them say, well, he's had threats. Okay, well, I have threats. A lot of people have threats. So protect them. Well, he's not useful anymore. Well, that's what the Democrats say, but it's not what the Republicans say. Well, we already know we have the, uh, you know, the original uh, phone call. Great, I agree with that, but that's not the reason to question him. You want to question him because he triggered this, according to Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff, and we want to know about this person. It's a very odd whistleblower who's protected by Washington, D.C. Most whistleblowers are put upon by Washington, D.C., And the reason they're whistleblowers is because they're going against some official policy. Now, the President of the United States, it's a very odd thing. The President of the United States, he goes against the establishment all the time, including with respect to Ukraine. And so with a whistleblower, you actually have a whistleblower who's blowing the whistle, theoretically anyway, to stop a president who I guess technically he'd be the whistleblower because he's going against the establishment, going against the grain. Anyway, there's many ways to turn this. I'm just making the point that this is one very odd whistleblower situation. Statute doesn't apply to him. Statute does not apply to the president. And at all of Washington is defending this guy. Don't reveal his name. Well, it's out there. Well, then don't repeat it. Don't utter his name. What do you mean? Is it like one of the seven banned words on radio? Yes! He's one of the seven banned words on radio. Oh. So now there's eight banned words. There's eight banned words. Charamella. I just wonder now if the FCC is going to come after me, Mr. President. It's like a cuss word, you see. Very strange indeed. All right, let's take a call here. All right. I've explained myself enough. Let's go to Ryan, San Jose, California. Very upset with me on Sirius Satellite. Yes, Ryan, how may I help you? Hi, sir. I wanted to express a a personal experience I recently had with misinformation. Yes. Um, My parents and our family, I'm almost a two-decade-long conservative and have been voting since the second Bush election. Mm. Uh, You know, voted for Bush. Uh, but someone recently came to my hometown and almost burned down my parents' house because they had been informed through some manipulative news outlets that it was worth coming to the state of California and my specific, like, hill where my parents live, super Christian Republican, and trying to burn down their house because they're Californians. I have no idea what you're talking about. There was a gentleman that flew out, lied, saying he was coming here for his uh, class reunion, and he lit multiple fires. I'm actually driving by 
the scarring on the hill by the right, thanks for your call, sir. This guy was, I don't know what he's, uh, that's fine. That's not what he said he was talking about. I don't know where this is going. I probably wasted 90 seconds on it. No offense, but, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know where we're going with that. So we're, 90 seconds is enough. Let us go to the great KSFO in San Francisco. Go! How are you doing, Mark? It's I'm doing well, thank you. It's a pleasure for the opportunity. Thank you. Hey, one of the things that really gets me about this whole deal with these, these folks within government, these people that, have, you know, they take an oath, they've totally gone against the American culture and the founding principles of transitional, transi- peaceful transition of government. And that's the one that really, really bothers me. Being, being a, a career Marine reservist, to swear an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies mm-hmm. foreign and domestic, and to have these people within government and Democrats in Congress basically violate one of our cultural principles. Yeah, this is such a great point. And this ambassador who's upset that she was forced out from Ukraine... That, that, that's an additional point, to, your, to, to underscore your point, which is, excuse me, there's a transition of power. There's a new president. Get the hell out of the ambassador's office. Yeah, and, and it, it, it speaks against, you know, they lack integrity. Because, mm-hmm. again, being, being a, a Marine Reservist that served under presidents that I may not have agreed with, but I did my duty. I had integrity, and I executed their policy. And yet these people don't have the integrity to do that. No, that's it's a great disgusting. point. That is a great point. And what about these long-time State Department employees? She has 33 years of experience. This other guy has 412 years of experience. And the President of the United States is following this irregular channel. Excuse me, to your point, sir. We have a transition that took place here from one administration to the other. He sets the policy. The president can't be focused on a rogue policy. It's his policy. Yep. yep. He's the one that sets the policy. If you don't like it, go, go get another great, job. Great call, Drew, and thank you for your service. Don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of Unfreedom of the Press. Thank you very, very much. Richard McKinney, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. Mr. Levine, the great yes. one. This is a really pleasure for me, that you took my call. Thank you. Um, I listen to your program quite a lot. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've ever called. Every day we're going through this process of listening to these left-wingers, these Democrats, come up with charge after charge after charge. Now, to me, that's like watching a, a gang of left-wing thugs rob a store. Mm-hmm. And these people are trying to subvert our system. President Trump was elected. The Republicans were elected. It's their turn to serve. Mm -hmm. And these people don't honor that. They're trying to overthrow the government. And in my mind, they ought to be charged with that. Yeah, well, I don't doubt anything you're saying. This phrase, silent coup which was a book, a great book, that was written some decades ago, and I borrowed that phrase early on in the Trump administration. It's been picked up by other hosts and other uh, columnists and so forth, and that's exactly what it is, and that's exactly what it's been. And, uh, and now the lawyer, Zaid, for the phony whistleblower, has made it clear through his Twitter account 
no thanks to the major media, but others who've really dug into this, conservatives, uh, he supported a coup. He supported a coup 10 days after this president was elected. Now, that, that should be headlines everywhere, shouldn't it? It certainly should. Um, but it's headlines nowhere. Uh, yeah. Where is our Senate? Maybe oh, they, they, they disgust me. me. Uh, I, I got to be honest, they are pathetic. I mean, they haven't done, they might be doing things in the background that we don't know about. I hope they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, but in the front round, they sound like a bunch of buffoons. They haven't done anything. All right, my friend. You take care. I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Lovin. Donald Trump Jr., how are you, sir? I'm doing well, my friend. How about yourself? Very, very well. And uh, what publisher, what, what, what publicist told you to go on The View, for God's sakes? Well, you know, I think it was one of those standard stops, and they said, hey, we, you know, we'd love to talk about your book, you know, and I figured if you're going to go on the book tour and you're going to be in politics, you've got to get out and try to speak to everyone. I just figured if they gave you three segments, they'd ask one question about the actual book, but uh, I guess that was uh, wishful thinking in this day and age of uh, everything's outrageous, right? Yes, these are four yentas, and uh, you can't basically uh, learn anything, understand anything, and... Uh, and more and more, they're, uh, they're attacking not just your father, who they detest, but they're attacking his supporters, his family members. I don't know. Uh, of course, I've never been invited on that show. And I'd say that's a good thing. But you're on this show, and that's what matters. And you've written a tremendous that matters, book. Man. That's right. It's a great book. And I met Thank you for the first time. You are a very, very decent, smart, nice guy. I just want the American people to know this. You really are. And um, the book is Triggered. Now, what caused you to write this book? You know, it was a, a, a lot of factors. Obviously, you know, people for years like, Don, you should write a book about business and things you've learned from your father. Like, ah, you know, I don't know about that. He sort of covered that with the art of the deal and all the things that he did. But, you know, after the experience that I had on the campaign, you know, going through that, being the tip of the spear of the greatest political upset in history, uh, then sort of going through some of the persecution of, you know, the Mueller hoax, the witch hunt, uh, being the number two target of that, doing 30 hours in front of the Senate and, and House, uh, where literally half of Congress is sitting there saying, I somehow committed treason for taking a unsolicited 20-minute uh, meeting. Uh, you know, it was sort of amazing. And going through all that experience and everything we learned and sort of how I became a conservative coming from a rather unlikely place like New York City, uh, it, it all sort of gelled. And I kept telling these stories from the campaign trail uh, in 16, and people were like, you got to really put this stuff down. And you know, you hear that once or twice, and you sort of pass it off. You hear that dozens over and over and over, and eventually you say, you know what, let's, let's get it done. You know, uh, we have Republicans even who are saying, uh, you know, I don't think we should have Hunter Biden testify. You know, I mean, after all, one Democrat said, you have any of the Bidens uh, testify? It's like throwing a grenade down one of the aisles here in the Senate. And uh, was there any such discussion about you testifying? No, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, look at what Hunter Biden's done. I mean, he's, he's taken hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably millions, between the Ukraine, in a, in a country he doesn't speak the language of, a business he knows nothing about. There's obviously nothing shady about that. Could guy prep for yeah. weeks for that interview on ABC, <laughs> and he still didn't know why he had had the job. Uh, you know, it takes $1.5 billion from China after flying over there on Air Force One. Uh, you know, there's all that shade. I mean, I literally took an unsolicited 20-minute meeting, and I did 30 hours in front of Congress. I had Republicans call me to do it. 
And, you know, that's the difference. If you're one of those elites like Joe Biden is, if you're part of the establishment, they're going to give you breaks and benefits that no one else is going to get. Uh, you know, Trump's certainly not getting them. Uh, and, you know, I see that and I see, you know, those Republicans. And it really actually starts to annoy me because, you know, they have the ability to actually do something. They're just choosing not to. Uh, you know, most of them agree. But then they say, well, you know, it, it's sort of against the I mean, it's sort of against the way things go there. I mean, have you watched what the other side is doing? Have you mm-hmm. seen uh, the sham process that's being run by Adam Schiff in the basement of Congress right now? Like, you know, and you're still going to say, like, pretend to play by some decorum when the other side has, you know, given up that notion uh, for the last few years? I mean, give me a break. Uh, and it's pretty sick. And honestly, I've been pretty vocal about it for quite some time. I was sort of, you know, giving some guys some slack uh, to see if they'd actually ever do the right thing and if they'd ever actually utilize their powers rather than just, you know, go on late night TV and talk about it but then do exactly nothing. You know, there's one thing to be sort of MAGA and say, I'm with Trump, I'm with Trump, and I'm so great, and, and this, and then you go back to the Senate, no, I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, we, we, we spoke really high on TV. Uh, I don't know. I think it's time to call some of these guys out, because uh, if they're going to be in the Senate and they're going to be that way, uh, is there really any point in actually having them in there? Might as well have a Democrat. The book is triggered how the left thrives on hate and wants to silence us. You can go to Amazon.com. It's on my social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. I strongly encourage you to get a copy because the left doesn't want you to have a copy, and that's enough for you. By the way, that's why I went out and bought all my uh, firearms, uh, Don Jr., when uh, when Obama was saying you can't have this. Yeah, you have more than a few. All right. Um, You write about this in your book. Did you expect the media to be the way the media are to you and your family? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I knew they would be bad. I mean, there's no secret that the media has been left-leaning for, you know, as long as I can remember. But, you know, the, the fact now that they have, there's not even a pretense of objectivity. Like I said, I go on The View today, there's two supposed conservatives in there, and they're just as vicious because, you know, it's convenient to attack Trump, and that's what you need to do to show up at that day job. And if they don't do it, they'll probably get destroyed by the other people on the show. And, you know, you get invited to do something like that, and you go, and I, by the way, I'm not naive. I know it's going to be rough. I know they're going to be vicious. And, Whatever. By the way, you were very if good. For half an hour, if you're going to be on for half an hour, you'd think if they invited you on to talk about your book, they'd mention it. You know, they'd ask you a single question because that's just common courtesy. But again, that's out the window with the media. This is the same media that whitewashes the you know the killing of Al Baghdadi and calls him an austere religious scholar uh, rather than a scumbag murdering rapist terrorist that he is. Uh, you know, they're they're really the derangement. You know, Trump derangement syndrome is real, and these guys are afflicted greatly. Uh, and it's a true shame because it's doing a major disservice to this country. You also write in your book about the Trump supporters and uh, their commitment to your father. You know, I, I love the way the media say they they go out and they ask people, like in Pennsylvania, if Donald Trump shot somebody, would you still support him? And and I and I respond by saying, I don't know. If Ted Kennedy drove off a bridge and a woman died, uh, why did you support oh. him? Uh, what what kind of questions are they? They ask about your father. No, they, they, they had that. I had that on. Uh, it was a CBS affiliate the other day. I was on TV, you know, doing the book tour, going around, you know, a couple of different affiliates all over the country, just from from New York. And one of them said, "Well, you know, Don, you said some complimentary things in your book about Martin Luther King. Do you think that would shock, you know, some of your supporters?" I'm like, "What? That I could support one of the great Americans of all? Like, are you? Are you no. I mean, I literally like if if the guy would have been in studio, it, it could have ended pretty badly." Because it was such a sick and perverse question that they could even ask that. It's, it's almost like, 
well, obviously, any of your supporters, they're all, they're all obviously racist, so how could you possibly write about that? They don't talk about, you know, Alveda King being one of our surrogates, his niece being a friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone around campaign trails with her. I mean, they don't talk about all-time low unemployment for African-Americans that, you know, wouldn't touch that. They wouldn't touch prison reform or opportunity zone legislation. You know, it's not necessarily going to tr- help the Trump base, uh, but help those people. I mean, and that's, again, the sickness uh, that we deal with. And it, it is vicious and it is frustrating. And, you know, they do get to influence a lot of people. Uh, and so, you know, I will go out there and I will fight back because I'm not going to take it lying down uh, when these guys do that kind of clown show stuff, Mark. I think this is what the American people love about the Trump family. Uh, Don, can you wait a few minutes for the next segment? Sure. All right. Hang in there. we got to take a break soon. And by the way, America and Don Jr., it was J. Edgar Hoover who tapped Martin Luther King's phones with the approval of the Attorney General, who was Robert Kennedy at the time. Last time I checked, Donald Trump is not tapping anybody's phones because of their civil rights beliefs. We'll be right back. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. The book is Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate and Wants to Silence Us. Donald Trump Jr., it's the number one nonfiction book on Amazon right now, number three overall. That's big. It's ahead of Anonymous. I like winning. Uh, Yeah, and you should be. I don't know this Anonymous book. It's another fraud. Uh, but in any yeah. event, we have linked to it on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. You can go directly to Amazon. I encourage you to get it. Let me ask you this, uh, Don. The, what has surprised you most? What has surprised you most? I mean, you were in a political person. Your family gets involved in this, and all of a sudden they're buzzsaws. But there's good things, too. So what has surprised you most? Honestly, uh, how fake it all is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, for me, big part of the book was the Russia hoax, right? I mean, I literally, you know, I have Congress saying I committed treason, trying to throw us in jail, doing all of this. Uh, you know, yesterday, I guess the yeah. big news was <laughs> I tweeted out an article that had the whistleblower's name in the title of the article. It was on Drudge five days ago. It was in Real Clear Politics a couple days ago. It was in The Federalist a couple days ago. So this is no secret. It's like the worst. If it's a secret, it's the worst kept secret anywhere in the world. And the outrage, Donald Trump Jr. outs the whistleblower. I'm like, what are you thought? Like, I literally saw it in an article. I quote tweeted, I think it was Breitbart. Um, and I'm saying, they're saying, you're endangering his life. I'm like, wait, like, I'm endangering a CIA operator's life? Like, and I'm like, I wish you guys showed the same outrage when I got exploding envelopes of white powder substance, mm-hmm. you know, that sent my wife to the hospital along with a federal agent. Uh, for a day to make sure it wasn't, uh, you know, anthrax or something like that. I wish you would have written an article about that, but you have a lot of outrage protecting us. And it turns out, you know what, A, there was nothing wrong with it. It was out there in the public domain. But more importantly, you know what, I figured out why their outrage was. It wasn't because I did that. It was because once his name was out there, it allowed people to do a little research on the Mm -hmm. guy. And so the guy ends up being, you know, one of the Brennan lackeys. You know, Brennan obviously can go lie to Congress. He can perjure himself. Nothing happens because these guys, you know, can get away with anything. Uh, he works for Biden during you know his Ukraine stuff, so he's frankly a material witness, not a whistleblower in all of this stuff. And I'm just like, man, like they did it again. And Mark, I, a couple weeks ago, I put out a tweet going, "Who wants to bet that the whistleblower has connections to these deep state clowns, the usual guys, the never Trumpers that are out there?" And like, honestly, of course, you know, 
it, it came true. And it's not because I'm so great at the game. It's because these guys, it's so obvious at this point what they're doing. It's so flagrant what they're doing that it's not even like you have to be some political genius to figure out. You just assume you know exactly what's going on. You know, this guy's in the picture with Valerie Jarrett and all the people crying when my father went to visit Obama. You know, that he's right there moping. Like, so you know he's just one of those guys that was in on this plan from day one. His lawyer has tweets in January of 17, the coup has started, mm-hmm. impeachment is next, we're going to remove the... I mean, he hadn't even done it. You know, when these guys are dropping articles about the impeachment, you know, it being a viable option 19 minutes after inauguration, you know, 19 minutes after Obama was inaugurated, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> 19, yes. after, 19 minutes after Trump gets into office, you know, they're already talking about impeachment. So it's so fake. It's so ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's almost like they have no talent for theater because, like, you, you, you couldn't be this dumb, uh, and, you know, and write a story about it. But they're out there, and the media will carry their water and sell it for whatever it is, and it's a true shame. By the way, uh, when that lawyer on the show, what is her name again? I forget her name on The View, whatever her name uh, is. The, the lawyer? Yeah. Um, I forget. No, Halston or something? Sunny. We'll call her Sunny. Uh, That's what I mean. When she turned to to, uh, Guilfoyle and she says to her, you're a lawyer. You know it's illegal for you to do what he did and so forth. I just want you to know as a lawyer, no, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, I just want to make it clear. The whistleblower statute doesn't cover this guy. Correct. It's only illegal for the IG himself to do it. Correct. Anyone else could do it, and Kim stood her ground, and she did it. I mean, you know, the reality is, I, if I were Sonny, I wouldn't be playing that game with Kim. Kim's an undefeated no, she's great. prosecutor. She has never lost a case as a, you know, as a prosecutor, so like, I, I probably wouldn't play that game with her. But How, how is she well, doing? I've always liked her. She's how is great. she doing? I, honestly, I, I get to go on the campaign trail with her. I mean, she's, she's so good. You know, and she can do things that I can, can't do, you know, even if the facts are the same. You know, as a woman, she, she has this great way about her. She can talk to women on some of these things. Because I watch, I mean, Trump has a real problem with women. I don't know, man. They show up, and they show up to these rallies, and they mm-hmm. listen to Kim speak, and uh, they are fired up. Again, they're probably more boxed into a corner in that they're probably less likely to tell the media that, only because if you're a woman that supports Trump, well, there must be something uh, wrong with you. Uh, but uh, no, Kim is amazing. She's a fighter. Uh, she's brilliant, uh, an incredible speaker. She fires people up. Uh, she's got sort of uh, Trumpian-type energy, uh, and it, it's awesome to be able to go around the country with her. I mean, she's really got her own base, uh, you know, and, and gets it. She understands the game. She understands the viciousness, and, you know, she doesn't back down. And that's why I said, well, you know, if I'm going to do The View, I, you know, I'm not a baby. I can go hold my own, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring her along because, you know, she can do things that I can't. <laughs> how, how often do you keep in touch with your dad? You know what? I, honestly, not as much as I'd like. Yeah, you know, he's I see busy. Him before rallies and stuff, but I don't. I, you know, I don't call him on a, on a daily basis. He's right. a you know, uh, matter of fact kind of guy, and he's great with us, and he's great around. I mean, you you got to film us around a family table on the holidays and stuff like that. The sense of humor is amazing. But like the real, like, what am I going to do? Hey, Dad, what's going on? Yeah, you know, right. I don't know. You know, dealing with missiles flying out of this country. <laughs> sort of like, you know, it's, it's hard to make small talk. It was hard to make small talk with him in business because there's almost so much serious going on. Mm-hmm. But like now in the presidency, with so much at stake, with so much coming at him, to be like, hey, how you how you doing? Like, it's just not a conversation. <laughs> We'd have all that often. But no, I see him at a lot of the rallies when I open for him. You know, and I do speak to him, but it's you know, I, I don't call him every day right. kind of thing to talk. And frankly, uh, you know, with, with all the snakes. 
Uh, I, you know, I want as little recorded because there's someone saying that I spoke to him about something mm-hmm. else and something else will be simultaneously breaking and they'll try to tie it together like we were coordinating. Uh, honestly, they did that yesterday with my whistleblower tweet. They're like, he must have gotten direction yeah. from the White House. I'm like, what do you like to retweet Breitbart? Like, if you look at my Twitter feed, I probably do it 25 times a day. Like, you guys are out of your minds. Like, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. So it, it sucks that that is the environment in which we live. But you got to kind of think that way, unfortunately. Well, the family seems pretty close, and I'll bet you what. I'll, I'll bet you that this has even brought you all closer because you're all attacked constantly. That's yeah, no, it. it, it it, it has. I mean, we don't see each other as much as we'd like. I mean, I see my brother all the time, and he, you know, he's really good at this stuff as well. But, I mean, he, honestly, he's done so much uh, even with the day-to-day business stuff because so much of what I did was international. You know, unlike Hunter Biden, like, we stopped doing new international deals. It sort of created almost a little bit of a vacuum for me that it's like, you know what? Uh, this stuff is important for me as an American. I'm going to fight for this. And so with that extra free time, it allowed me to be out on the campaign trail fighting for these guys, fighting for my father, doing these sort of things, writing the book about it. So hopefully... You know, some people can get a little bit of insight uh, into the family, into our mindset, into what we're actually trying to do and some of what we've gone through that, you know, the people in the mainstream media are never going to report on, Mark. So that's why, you know, a, a big part of why I did it. Now, in the book, let me ask you this. As you were going up to election night, what did you feel? Did you feel you'd win? It would be close. You might have a close loss. What were you thinking? It was really interesting. Uh, you know, I thought it, it felt so good because, you know, I was going to places, even myself, and I, I sort of went wherever my father was. I, you know, you sort of didn't need another Trump in a room. Like, he creates enough of a vacuum in a space, right? Uh, and so I went to all these other places, and they're like, oh, Don, you know, you're on the western slope of Colorado. And, you know, Hillary Clinton was here yesterday. I go, how many people should she do? They go, 250. I go, oh, man, like, how many are we going to do? They're like, you're at 3,500. I'm like, wow. wait, like, do they know it's junior? And they're like, yeah, here's the sign. I mean, it's like Donald Trump. I was like, figured, you know, someone's going to sue me for uh, fraud and misrepresentation. And, and it wasn't. Like, they were literally upselling venues. And I saw it. And I, I, honestly, after the Access Hollywood nonsense, you know, there was a moment, and I write about this in the book as well. I was like, man, because you see the media and the visceral response. And I think I was in, I think I was in Iowa, like the Monday following that really, really long weekend. And I get into more, again, like, you know, in, in the book, but I was like, you know, you're down. You, you watch the news and even if you know it's nonsense, even if you know this is what it is, like, it still sort of gets you after a while, just the constant barrage. And I was in Iowa, and I gave my sort of stump speech, but it was unusual for me. I sort of phoned it in. It wasn't my usual, you know, I was like, let's call it low-energy Jeb. Uh, and at the end of this thing, I start taking some selfies, and a group of about five women came up, and they go to me, you know, son, I understand why you're a little bit upset and probably not as into it as you should be, but I can promise you this. My girlfriends and I had that same conversation, you know, 13 times last week. You just keep fighting. No one cares. This is the real world. And, like, you know, this was like a sort of like a Bible Belt area, and I was like, you know, I was thinking I was going to get destroyed. And, you know, that's what it was. And, I, like, my father sort of nailed it. Like, locker room talk. I'm like, so, yeah, I, you know, I've had that conversation with my guy friends. I'm not saying I want my kids to hear it. I'm not saying I wanted to broadcast on TV. But, like, you know, two guys that know each other for a long time talking, like, it happens. I'm not saying it's right. But it does, and like these. But it was never intended for the public either. It was never right. intended for the public. So it's like you know, and when he said locker room talk, I was like, man, he nailed it. So I write about this at length in the book as well, because I was like, I was very depressed, and those five women were just like, sugar, you get you get your ass back out there and start fighting, <laughs> uh, and I was like, game on, and that was it. And from that moment on, I was like, hey, I wasn't like, is it no brainer? We obviously won it, because, just because again, it was hard to get through sort of media barrage. But I was like, man, like we are, we are in this race. This is not 
uh, what the media is saying. They don't see it. They're not getting it. They haven't tried to get out of their little bubbles in New York and D.C. Uh, you know, we're going to crush this thing, and we're, we're going to give them a run no matter what. I mean, I, I felt pretty confident, uh, and uh, it, it turned out I was right. Well, you know, I could go on and on with you, and we will, Sunday, uh, 8 p.m., our new time, Eastern Time. I'm going to have uh, Don Trump Jr. the entire time. We're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about current events. We're going to talk about all kinds of things where you actually can get to speak, Don. And uh, we look forward to <laughs> it very that. much. All right. And the book is, my friend. is Donald Trump Jr. Triggered, How the Left Thrives on Hate and Wants to Silence Us. Keep up the good work. You were terrific today, really. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That means a lot coming from you, sir. All right. God bless. Take care. Nice, nice man. He really, and that's how smart he is. You see how smart he is, Mr. Producer? He really is a sharp dude. And I think the president has great kids. They did a great job. We'll be right back. Strongly encourage you. Get the book Triggered. It's a great book, and you can see how smart Don Jr. is. And boy, he took on the Yentas over there at The View, and he whipped them, didn't he? Him and Kimberly. It's a beautiful couple there. Smart. Smart, smart, smart. Here's something interesting. There are over 2 million burglaries reported every year. Now, that's one every 13 seconds. And what's crazy is that Only one in five homes have home security. And part of the reason is these alarm companies make it very expensive and very difficult. And that's why Simply Safe is transforming home security by breaking down those barriers to get you the best, most reliable, and comprehensive protection available anywhere. Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24 7 professional monitoring. Their police dispatch is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video verification. And Simply Safe has no contracts, no hidden fees. The system is designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. It's easy to order, easy to set up, unusually, usually in under an hour. Plus, prices are always fair and honest. Round the clock monitoring, just 15 bucks a month. Please visit simplysafemark.com to get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go right now. Be sure you go to simplysafemark.com so they know I sent you. That's simplysafemark.com. Now, by the way, on the campaign trail, President Trump promised to renegotiate NAFTA to better deliver for American workers, businesses, and consumers, and he kept that promise. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, USMCA, negotiated by the Trump administration, will replace NAFTA. And when NAFTA was signed 26 years ago, no one could have predicted the explosion of innovation and cutting-edge advancements in medicine, agriculture, and technology. But that's why it needed updating. President Trump's new trade agreement puts in place strong protections for American innovators and their intellectual property, responsible for the medical innovations we take for granted. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want to rewrite the deal and strip out its intellectual property rights. So in other words, foreigners can steal from Americans. But without strong protection of U.S. intellectual property rights, these foreign freeloaders will continue to take advantage of our innovation. And the investments needed to create needed treatments for chronic and deadly diseases, well, they'll dry up. Protecting intellectual property protects the jobs of Americans 
who are working to create a better health future. And it protects the incentive to innovate and take risks. Republicans should stand firm and make sure this free trade deal keeps America's interests at the forefront. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. 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 I got my running shoes on. You know why, Mr. Producer? I have to run from the bunker to the Ronald Reagan TV studio where I shoot Levin TV in order to do Hannity in 35 minutes on the Fox News channel at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And I know you Levinites will be there. We've got a lot to talk about. All right. Let us take a call, shall we? Dale, Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer, the great KRLA. Go. Hello, Mark. How are you? Very well. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. That's, that's great. I've been thinking, I, I think a couple of references from the mid-20th century uh, are very relevant to our current uh, sort of dem faux impeachment attempts. Um, the future historians will hopefully look back on Nancy and, and Adam Schiff um, as the, some of the current historians look back on Joe McCarthy and the House Un-American Activities uh, um, committees. Well, yeah, they will. But, you know, the House on American Activities helped unearth uh, 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 Hiss. Thing is, uh, another reference from the mid-20th century was uh, Second World War. Loose lips sink ships mm-hmm. from the Second World War. And I think Adam's loose lips will sink Schiff. Well, let's hope so. I, I Schiff is the Benito Mussolini of uh, the House of Representatives, if you want to do uh, parallels. Uh, he has as much respect for the rule of law, for secrecy, for due process. Yes, he does. About the same, I'd say. Maybe, maybe less. Thank you for your call, Dale. Jack! Tampa, Florida, the great... Where are we in Tampa? W-E-N-G. Go! Uh, Mark, I just wanted to tell you why your book is so important. Uh, in the future, when historians have some perspective on the era, they're going to have every fact and detail on just what a part the press played in our current dilemma. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate and that. You have spelled it out in a way that uh, they're not going to escape punishment of the historians. Well, that is very, very kind of you. Thank you well, very much. I- I'd like to mention something else. Yes, sir. I spent 48 years in marketing research, mm-hmm. and I recently, I still play around, I'm retired now, but uh, I recently had a 51-year-old truck driver come to me, and uh, I can't listen to Hillary Clinton, but he told me and showed me a, a, a video of it. When she first announced, she said she went right out of law school to Washington to work with children. Now, this fellow with a GED said, I don't think that's right. Didn't she go down there to work with the Watergate Committee? Mm-hmm. I said, yes, she did. And he said, well, why wouldn't she mention it? That's an honor for anybody right out of law school. And I referred her to Jerry Ziefman. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and he, in a, he couldn't get an interview. Former, former Watergate counsel. Yep. Well, he was the head of it. I was the head of and, it. And he, he, and, and he, 90- and he, and he said she was awful. 
she was far more aggressive than she should have been. Remember? In the 90s. Jack, I got to go. I apologize. But, but I want to thank you for bringing it up. Try us again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, all you folks who protect us out there. Now, here's what I want you to do. In 30 minutes, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, put on Fox. Fox, I will be there. And every time I use the word they, I'm talking to you. See you then. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.